If you have your Bible, I would like to invite you to open to John chapter 8, verse 48. John chapter 8, verse 48. John 8, 48. I'm going to read for you our text this morning out of John 48. The Jews answered him, just as Jesus, Are we not right in saying that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? Jesus answered, I do not have a demon, but I honor my Father and you dishonor me. Yet I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it, seeks it, and he is the judge. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. The Jews said to him, Now we know that you have a demon. Abraham died, as did the prophets, and yet you say, If anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham, who died? And the prophets died. Who do you make yourself out to be? Jesus answered, If I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my Father who glorifies me, of whom you say he is our God, but you have not known him. I know him. If I were to say that I do not know him, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him, and I keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, You are not yet fifty years old, and have you seen Abraham? And Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. So they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word, for its clarity and its integrity for the way that it applies to our lives, that your word is alive and active and it is very sharp and it will pierce through our hearts and through bone and marrow and it will literally change our lives, that when you speak from your word to us, you are speaking to us directly. So let our lives reflect what you say to us today appropriately. Give me this moment to speak your truth with both love and accuracy and clarity, Lord, in such a way that we make much of Jesus and very little about Jeremy. Father, work in ways that only you can for the glory of your name and the advancement of your kingdom. And I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. As we come to a text like this, John chapter 8, this is the close of our time with the Jews and Jesus' conversation that they have been having from the very beginning of John 8. And throughout John chapter 8, Jesus has told them amazing things. He said things like, I am the light of the world. He told them that I am the truth and the truth will set you free. He, he told them about the, the comparing and contrast of his dad and their dad. His dad is the God of heaven and their dad is the father called the devil. And so at the very end of this text, we get to the most conflicting part. In other words, the boiling point has occurred here. At the end, when Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am, they picked up stones to hurl at him. Wow. Right? They picked up stones to hurl. Now, they're not playing catch the stone here. 
They're throwing stones to kill him. That was what their plan was to be. And so I, I want us to really think about what Jesus is saying here today. St. Augustine, one of the early church fathers, he wrote this on this particular te- text. He says, As Jesus flees from the stones, woe to those who heart of stone, God flees. Pretty amazing words today. So here's what my prayer is for all of us in this room. My prayer is that we would embrace Jesus as Savior and understand that Jesus has always existed. He has always been. He's always had a plan to save us from our sins, and he always has had a plan to give us new life. And so today, what I pray we do is that we would drop any rocks in our hands that we want to throw at Jesus. And I pray that we would drop them on the ground, that our hearts of stone would fall out of our chests, and that we would come, and like Jesus, or like Peter said about Jesus when he preached in Acts chapter 4, he said this, this Jesus, which is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders which has become the cornerstone. So today I pray that our hearts of stone would fall out of our chests and we would stand on the solid rock of Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. You see, the, you see what I want to happen? That's my prayer this morning as I've been praying for you and as I've been praying for this sermon that we would embrace Jesus as the pre-existent God, deity, man, who came to save us from our sins. Now, you may ask the question, so we're gonna, we're gonna kind of work backwards in this text. I know, we're gonna do things a little weird. We're gonna work backwards in this text. We're gonna start about what Jesus means when he says, I am. Because that's, that's the whole, it's culminating to that one statement. All of John chapter eight is culminating to that one statement. And, and, and the rest of this is gonna build off of that statement. So I wanna look at the implications of, the, of John chapter eight, verse 58 first, and then we're going to bounce back and kind of work through some of the ways this applies to our lives. So here's what happens. I I think the reason that the Jews react by getting ready to throw a stone at Jesus is because they heard Jesus with their ears, but they didn't understand what Jesus meant with their hearts. And so they were going to stone him. You might ask, why would they stone Jesus? Because in this moment, they they are actually about to apply the Levitical law. See, in Leviticus 24, verse 16, anybody who has been accused and commits blasphemy, the punishment was death by stoning. And so they assumed that what Jesus had said was untrue, and they actually had assumed that he was blaspheming God, and so they were planning to stone him for it. They say, well, why, why would they think that? What causes them to to come and say Jesus is blaspheming is because he says this again in verse 58. I want us to read this again very slowly and very clearly. Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Now this is very interesting to me. From the very beginning of the Gospel of John, in John 1.1, it says this, In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So now, we, we've all kind of heard that, 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 that text before, and the question that I asked is, where does John get that information? Like, how on earth can John make that kind of claim from the very outset of his book? And it comes because this is exactly what Jesus said about himself. He said, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, he said the words, I am. 
Here's what we need to take away from this text today. This is what Jesus means when he says, I am. Jesus is actually making a claim to his deity that Jesus is, in fact, saying about himself in the I am statement that I am exactly God in the flesh. This is what that means. Think about this, brother and sister. Jesus was there before the world was here. Jesus was there before Adam and Eve came into existence. Jesus is, was there before you and I were even born. Jesus has always been and has, has always existed, and that is what his I am statement is telling the people. And they get it. That's why they want to stone him. In fact, many of our conservative commentators of our day, they don't question this I am statement about Jesus' preexistence and deity. Look, look at a couple. See, there's a couple of different other I am statements in chapter 8 that people could question. We're not nearly sure if he's talking about his deity or not. Look what he says in verse 24. I told you that you would die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. So could he be talking about his deity? Possibly. But he's definitely talking about himself as being the Savior who would die for our sins. Look at verse 28. Jesus said to them, When you have lifted up the Son of Man... Then you will know that I am He, and that I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the Father taught me. So could Jesus be talking about His deity there? Yeah, possibly, but this doesn't make sure it makes sure clear. But when He says in verse 58, look at 58 one more time. Everything rides and falls on 58. Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, say it, I am. D.A. Carson says this about this particular text. Whatever doubts may attach themselves to whether or not I am should be taken absolutely as deity in verses 24 and 28, here in verse 58, there can be none. Leon Morris also confirms, it brings out the meaning, he says, of pre-existence in more striking fashion. Before the great patriarch who lived centuries before, Jesus' existence went on. In the present passage, this concept is unmistakable. So in other words, I'm in good company when I say that Jesus says I am, that that is a, a, a statement of his divine incarnation to us today. Now here's the deal. We need to understand something very true about all of Scripture Everything in Scripture, from Genesis 1-1 to Revelation 21, the main character is Jesus. See, here's what's happened in our American church context. See, we, we, we try to systematize everything. We put everything in its proper place. We, 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 we're very good at compartmentalizing the Bible. So we read, we read the history sections. We read the prophets. We read the, the gospels. We read the history of the, new, of the church. We read letters. We read apocalyptic literature like Revelation and Daniel. We read, we read hymns and song and praise literature like Psalms. And we read wisdom literature like Proverbs. But one of the things that we have done in our American church context, is we have divorced Jesus from the Bible. That's what Vody Bauckham says. We have divorced Jesus from the rest of Scripture. In other words, what we've done is we look at the Bible, and this is, and, and this is especially the preaching that we've heard in our pasts. You see, the preaching that we heard in our past, it was all about rules. It was all about tradition. It was all about moralism. And, and while those are all important concepts that are pushed throughout Scripture, these were always taught separated from Jesus. And let me tell you something. The Bible is not separating Jesus from anything. 
In fact, the Jesus on the left side, or excuse me, the Jesus on the right side is still pre-existent in there, even in the, he's the Jesus on the left side of the book. You see what I'm saying? Jesus has always been, this is what he says by the I am, the underlining, silver lining, main character of scripture is Jesus himself. I remember when I was at Mount Tabor, uh, where I was serving as an associate pastor, I preached a text on 1 Samuel 17, which is the, one of my favorite, uh, my kid and I, our favorite story, especially the boys, right? I've told you this before, we like to act out our, um, act out the Bible verses, so uh, I'm always Goliath, and they're always Daniel, I mean, excuse me, David, and so what do they like to do? They like to slay daddy, right? And it's just super fun to them. That's what they enjoy doing. And so one day I preached 1 Samuel 17 to our people, and I told them, I was like, you got to understand, you're not David in that text. You're actually Israelites. We are actually the Israelites. We cannot save ourselves from our Goliaths. And I've used Goliath as sin, destruction, death. We cannot save ourselves from impending and certain death. We had to have somebody come in and save us. Somebody had to come in and cast the stone to defeat Steph. And the stone that Jesus cast was the stone that was rolled away when he was resurrected that third day. Woo! Yes. You see, the main storyline of Scripture is Jesus. But we get so confused about this in today's church. We think that, we think that, the God on the left side of the book in the Old Testament is this wrathful, sometimes mean God. And then we look at this Jesus on the left side of the, on the right side of the book, and I'm like, oh, it's this loving Jesus. But can I tell you something? Both of them, Jesus is just as much the God on the right side of the book as he is on the left side of the book. And we know that because he says, I am. I am. Jesus has always existed in the Godhead from the very beginning of time. Before the beginning of time, in fact. He's always existed in a perfect unity within the Godhead. A perfect relationship in the Godhead. There has always been the God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. One God, three persons, and they've always been. And Jesus is no different. You see, the reason why the, the Jews picked up their stones to throw at Jesus is because I believe they knew the Old Testament better than we did. And when Jesus turns to them and he says this, truly, truly, I say to you, and before Abraham was, I am, I think immediately their minds went to three different texts in the Old Testament. I think immediately their minds went to Isaiah 41, 4, which says, I, the Lord, am the first and with the last. I am he. What did Jesus say? I am. Isaiah 43, 13, even from eternity, I am he. And there is none who can deliver you out of my hand. Oh, what did Jesus say in, in 58? I am. I think they would have remembered the Psalm of Moses in Psalm 92. It says, Before the mountains were born, or you gave birth to the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, Moses says, You are God. And Jesus says, What? I am. That's why they sought, sought to stone him. Now think of the implications of what this means for us today. Think of what the incarnation, the deity of Jesus, really means to our lives today. You see, before the beginning of all creation, Jesus existed. 
And before we took our first breath, before we took our first step, before we committed our first real sin, Jesus has always been. And even from the beginning, Jesus had a plan to come and save us from our sins. We get this in the, what they call the Proto-Evangelium, which is the very first time the gospel is ever read and seen in Scripture is in Genesis 3.15. I think I can actually make an argument that it's actually in Genesis 1.1. But for the sake of every other scholar out there, let's just do Genesis 3.15. Genesis 3.15, uh, God curses Satan. And when he said, one of his curses to Satan, I think is the very first time we see the gospel in seed form, it says this, and I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. Here it is. He shall bruise you on the head and you shall bruise him on the heel. In other words, that text is talking about the main character of scripture. And who is that main character? The I am. You see, Jesus knew from the beginning that he was going to come and die for the sins of the world. And Satan was going to bite his heel. He was going to bruise his heel. He had to come and die the sinner's death that we deserved. He had to come to a cross and take on the sins of the world. And so, yes, he was going to die on the cross. But you know what happens on that third day? That third day is when Jesus comes out of the tomb and he bruises that serpent's head. It's done, he says. It is finished. I have come and I have defeated sin. I have come and I have defeated death. I have come and I have defeated Satan himself. And I have come for all of you and for Jeremy. Isn't that amazing to think about? The, before, we even, before we even came into existence, God had a plan, Jesus had a plan to come and save us from our sins. And that's why he turns to us and says, I am the great I am. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that just something to relish in? I mean, how does that make you feel? How does that make you feel that the God of all glory had a plan to step out of glory to come save us? That he came, he came to earth. He came so that you could come to him through faith. You know how that makes me feel? It makes me feel very valuable. It makes me feel like I have a purpose in life. It makes me feel very loved. Does it make you feel loved to know that the God who has always existed came to die for you and be resurrected again? It, it makes me feel a sense of joy. It, it makes me feel very important. It makes me feel very happy. It, it makes me feel like I have a purpose and a mission in life. And, and we do have a purpose and mission in life because Jesus has always existed. He came to save you so that you could finally turn and live and exist with him forever and ever. He came so that you could come to him through faith. Now I want us to hit the second part of this text. I want to show you, since we know this truth now, right? We're all going to affirm the truth of the incarnation, I hope. Good. Now what I want to do is I want to show you why the Jews in this text, they didn't believe why they picked up stones to throw at him instead of letting the stone of their heart fall to the ground. And it comes from the rest of the text from 48 all down to 57. Let 
The Jews answered him, after he had just told them in verse 47, whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not what? You're not of God, verse 47, you're blind. So the Jews answered him, are we not right in saying that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? The Jews get kind of nasty here. They get really, really mean. The Jews actually turn and say to him, number one, you're not part of our nation because you're Samaritan, which is a very derogatory term. And number two, they say you have a demon, you're a crazy person. And Jesus turns around and he answers them. He says, I do not have a demon, but I honor my Father and you dishonor me. Yet I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it and he is the judge. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. I love what Jesus says here. He, he doesn't immediately just reject them. He doesn't immediately fight back against them. He tells them the truth once again. He's like, I don't have a demon. God sent me. God is going to, it's the one, my father is going to one who's going to get the glory, who my honor is. I seek, I don't seek my own glory. God's going to give me my glory when I come and I die for the sins of the world. He is the judge. And he says, I truly say to you these words, if anyone keeps my word, he says, he will never see death. This word keep here is the same that we heard about abide or remain. And so Jesus says, if you keep my word, if you believe in me, if you trust in me, if you cleave to me, if you live out the word that I am teaching to you, he gives you the result, you will never see what? Death. Now, this is really interesting, isn't it? Because we all know that we might always see, we might one day see death, right? Physical death. We might see a physical death, but here's what Jesus wants you to realize, all of us to realize this morning is this, that when he, you believe and trust in him, that he gives you life now and in the future to come. He gives you both life now and in the future to come. So you begin to now, in these moments, when you believe in Jesus, you become a new creation. You give given a new life. You begin to keep his word, and you finally begin to live the life that God had always expected you and wanted you to live from the beginning. Because Jesus was where in the beginning? I am there, he says, right? And so he wants you to, cre he created you to live this life fully, in its fullest, to the way that he has designed you to live from the beginning. But here's the second concept. Not only are you going to live, but yeah, so someday we might close our eyes. So I could have a heart attack today on this stage. But do you know what that means for me as a believer? That the moment I open my eyes, I have opened my eyes to see eternal life come. That's what Paul says in, in Philippians when he says, for me to live is Christ, I'm living now, but for me to die is actually gain. It is great gain for me. Because when I die, my new life actually begins. That's the hope that we have as believers. That's why Jesus says you will never see death. Because even at the moment of your physical death is the moment you, be, moment you begin to start your eternal life. You see, I'm not afraid to die. Because I know where I believe I'm going. And it's going to be good. Jeez, I'm not going to have to worry about being anxious anymore. I had terrible anxiety all day yesterday. I had to just pray over and over. Be anxious about nothing. Be anxious about nothing. Be anxious about nothing. My wife's on the road. My kids are on the road. It's just me and Lincoln. I mean, I was like, Lord, if you take all four of them, like, me and Lincoln ain't going to make it. We're going to move in with mommy and daddy. <laughs> like, I'm going to be a 36-year-old moving in. My I'm not going to make it. So I had a lot of anxiety yesterday. And so I look forward to the day when I, when I die and I go to be with Jesus and I'll never be anxious again. 
But at the same time, I am slightly, slightly anxious about my death. And you know why? Not because I'm afraid of dying, but because I'm afraid that I haven't lived my life to the fullest yet. I always pray, Lord, don't let me die just yet. Not because I'm scared of death, because I know that you told me I'm never going to see death, but, but I don't, don't let me die just yet because I still need to raise my kids. I still need to love and lead my wife. I still have ministry and work for I think that you need me to do at New Hope and in South Carolina and across the nation and in Japan. I'm not done, so don't take me yet. Although I know that when you take me, I will finally live. That's why Paul says, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. That's why Jesus says, if you keep my word, you will never see death. But the Jews didn't get it. Why don't the Jews get it? Because they were so steeped in their history. They were so steeped in their tradition. They were so steeped in their religion. They were so steeped in their morality that they didn't understand that Jesus came to give them favor. They believed that they could earn God's favor. And let me tell you, friend, no one can earn God's favor. I don't care how good you are. You will never earn God's grace. The good news is you don't have to earn God's grace. He's already given it to you in the I am. And so they turn to him and they say this. They were blinded by their tradition. They were blinded by their history. The Jews said to him, Now we know that you have a demon. Abraham died as did the prophets. Yet you say, If anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham who died? And the prophets died. Who do you make yourself out to be? You see, they were blinded by their tradition. They were blinded by their nationalism. They were blinded by their heritage. And Jesus turns right around on them and he says this. If I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my Father who glorifies me, of whom you say he is our God. But the reality is, verse 55, but you have not known him. You see, the God they thought they knew They didn't know because they couldn't see that Jesus was the God in the flesh. They were blinded by their tradition. They were blinded by their Abrahamic lineage. They were blinded by their history. And Jesus turns to them with these cutting words in verse 55 and says, But you have not known him. I know him. If I were to say that I do not know him, he says, I would be a liar like you. (laughs) That's pretty funny, right? Right? Like he's. He basically just called him out at this moment. They just called him demon and Samaritan. And he's like, well, better than being a liar like you. (laughs) He says, but I do know him and I keep his word. Notice that Jesus asked us to keep his word just as he keeps the Father's word. And then verse 56, Jesus tries to relay them and show them that he is the God of all the scriptures. And it says this for 56, your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. I love this. Jesus actually tells him, you know your father Abraham? He was actually waiting for my day to come. He actually saw my day and he rejoiced in my day when it would come, when it did come. So you say, well, how does Abraham rejoice? In fact, that's the same question that they asked Jesus in verse 57. They say, are you not 50 years old and have you seen Abraham? Like, Abraham's been dead for centuries up until this point, right? Like, how have you seen Abraham? And Jesus says to them that Abraham was waiting for my day. So there's actually four different views that you can have 
what it means when Jesus says in verse 56, your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day and he saw it was glad, all right? So there's four different views and then I'm gonna give you mine, fair? All right, the first view is this. Abraham rejoiced and Saul was glad and he's going back to the Abrahamic covenant of Genesis chapter 12. Through you, Abraham, right? All the families of the earth would be blessed. And so that was God, that the covenant was made and so that's probably maybe when Abraham saw and rejoiced in what God was going to do. Some rabbis actually hold Genesis 15 as the possible solution to this text, like Jewish rabbis, right? They, the reason they hold this is because in Genesis 15, God gives some of the secrets over to Abraham, and so they think that one of the secrets that Abraham was given in Genesis 15 was this secret of Jesus, and so he rejoiced and was glad and saw it. Genesis 17 is when Abraham rejoices and laughs about his son Isaac, which is also an opportunity to point us to Jesus, right? Or you can get to verse, uh, Genesis 22, which is when um, Abraham lays Isaac on the altar to slay him, and God stops him and provides another offering instead, which is the ram that is caught in the bush, remember? So they bring that in here. So which view you hold is fine. You can hold any of your So you say, Jeremy, which view do you hold? And I say to all of them, yes. I think every single one of them points to Jesus. So I think Abraham rejoiced and saw it because every single covenant, every single test, every single opportunity that, that Abraham stepped out on faith, he was doing it knowing that a Messiah would come. Because what? Remember, who is the silver lining of Scripture? Jesus! So was Jesus there in Genesis 12? I am. Yes. He would say, I am, the, I am, I am. He was always there. Yet the Jews still could not believe in him. The Jews' hearts were still turned into stone. After Jesus said, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am, they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. You see, friend, here's my concern. My concern is that in some ways our hearts have become very much like the Jews in this text. I think sometimes you and I care more about our traditions, our religion, care about our, our way of doing things. We care about doing things the way that the old days used to do things. We don't live in the old days anymore. And here's what I think would happen if Jeremy walked in here next Sunday and I changed everything of our service. I even, let's say I turned the pews around, took all the flags away, we played all kinds of different, Ethan, I said, Ethan, play some, some, some different music. If I, if I turned and said, we're not doing Sunday nights anymore, if I turned and say that our Sunday school is changing, if I turned and I, I, I got rid of, of just tons of stuff and I just changed everything, you know what many of you would probably do? You'd pick up stones and you would call me a heretic and you'd ready to throw me down. just like the Jews in this text. Because I think sometimes we care more about our tradition than we do the incarnation. When you have tradition, you're going to throw stones. When you have incarnation, you're going to stand on the stone. You see, I think, many, I think more of you would throw stones at me for doing those kind of changes in our service. And I don't think you would throw a single stone at me if I preached modalism. I don't think you would throw a single stone at me if I preached Arianism. You know why? Because you probably don't even know what those her heresies really are. But I guarantee you, you know what kind of music we play. 
Friend, let me tell you something. Everything that I desire to do at New Hope, everything that Ethan desires to do at, e- at New Hope, everything Baxter desires to do at New Hope is everything that we desire to do is do it while we're standing on the solid rock. Because it is only Jesus that can save them out there. It is only the I am who can save them out there. It is the only I am who can bring them life out there. And so let's get rid of the idea of tradition. Let's get rid of the idea of this is the way we've always done it. And let's not take for granted that the deity and incarnation of Christ is the basis for all that we think, say, and do at New Hope Baptist Church. I pray that new hope, you and me, that we remember that everything we do is to bring glory to the one who said in Revelation, I am the Alpha, I am the Omega. That's the Greek alphabet, the beginning and the end. Who is and who was and who is to come. If we only sought as a church to please Jesus to please the Father like Jesus, and to only do everything that is built on the foundation, the cornerstone of our faith, which is Christ, I think we would see two things. Number one, I think we wouldn't see petty debates and arguments taking place amongst our ranks. And number two, I think God would do something so incredible here that when he got done, our jaws would drop to the floor like this rock. But you see, what needs to happen is we need to go from this this we need to keep his word sometimes we need to release our traditions and embrace the rock who's become the cornerstone and let him and him alone guide us through his word in our futures so what about you this morning what's your position to God are you ready to cast that stone are you ready to drop that heart of stone and receive Jesus, who says, I am, and then begin to live out that glory for him the rest of your days until you close those eyes and breathe your last, and you take your first breath into eternity. That's what Jesus wants from us today. Embrace him as the solid rock, and live for him, and let new hope glorify him in everything else that we think, say, and do. Make his incarnation and deity the rock and foundation of our new hope community. Amen? Let's pray together. Father, you are so good. You are so glorious. I'm always amazed at Jesus in these texts. He never shied away from the truth. He never shied away from the reality. He only sought to point people to himself. And today, I believe, Jesus, you are pointing people to you right now. There's people in this room who, who some of us who are, who are so steep sometimes in our traditions that we get blinded by our traditions and we don't see the glorious incarnation of Christ. Forgive us, Lord, for even for us in this room when we read the scriptures that we don't tie Christ to all of them. That sometimes we, we look at the Old Testament and we don't see Jesus in there. Help us to be reminded that Jesus was there from the beginning of the pages to the end of the pages. And he was there before the pages were written and after the pages came to a conclusion. 
that he is our only hope and he is the foundation and the author of our faith. And it's by his grace and by his love that we do what we do for you. So let us not be concerned about petty differences. Let's be concerned about doctrinal essentials. Because it is that truth, the truth of the gospel in Jesus, that can truly free people from the bondage of slavery and sin. It is truly Jesus who can bring light into, the, into, into lives of darkness. It is only Jesus can move people from having their father as Satan to their father who is in heaven. And so Lord, we want to glorify and honor you in what you have done for us through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And I pray all these things in Jesus' precious holy name and all God's people said, Amen. You take a few moments. Just bow your heads and close your eyes. You take a few moments to work, look in your heart today to see what God is doing. Maybe you need some time in prayer right there in your seat. You just pray. If you need to talk to me this week, give me a call, shoot me a text. Let's sit down. Let's have some conversation about what this message has done to your heart. If you need prayer right now, I'm going to stand up here in front for a few moments while everybody else is in their time of reflection, and I just want to pray over you. If you can't come up to the front, just simply raise your hand, and I'll walk to the back, and I'll pray for you too. But this is your time, so you deal with God as he deals with you. And then Ethan will bring us back in song.